right. Well, good morning. Great to see everyone. Hope you're having a blessed Sunday morning. Want to thank God uh, for bringing Pastor back and uh, from his vacation in Maine, his family. Some of them are actually still traveling back. Want to keep them in prayer. Uh, but next week, Pastor will be back in the pulpit. Uh, we'll be back in our study on Ephesians. But today you get me. And before I tell you what I'm going to be sharing on, I have a question for you all. Do you remember where you were on November 20th, 2022? Now, I know, we don't even remember what we had for breakfast. I get it. That was nine months ago. But the good news is, I'm hoping for the vast majority of you, I can answer that question for you. I am of total belief that for most, if not all of us, where we were on November 20th, 2022 is right in these pews. It was a Sunday morning. And if you happen to be here that Sunday morning, you were here as Elder Mike Sabato preached a sermon. I don't remember why it wasn't pastor, but it was Mike. And it was a sermon on the first chapter of the book of Haggai. I don't know if that sounds familiar, but his title was Consider Your Ways. And that wasn't so much an admonition from Mike to the people, even though it was, but it was an actual command from God in the chapter 1 of Haggai. Twice, God commands the Israelites to consider their ways. And obviously, I'm not going to re-preach Mike's whole sermon. You can go online. You can listen to it. You can be blessed by it. But I am going to reread Haggai 1. It's 15 verses. It's not too bad. And it gives you the context and the backdrop for what we're going to talk about today. So you can look on the screen if you don't want to look it up. But Haggai chapter 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. 
Okay, so I don't know if that sounds familiar. I don't know if that's the first time you've ever heard that chapter. I don't know if it's the first time you ever heard of the book of Haggai. But what's going on here is the Israelites had been in captivity, and they were finally allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls, rebuild the city. And everything started out great. A bunch of people went. They had every intention of doing that. They even started doing it. And then things started slacking off. They started prioritizing their own things over the things of God. God even calls them out. He's like, what, you get to live in paneled houses and my house is in ruins? So God kind of rips into them a bit. He says, you're putting all this effort into things. You're not getting anything from it because I'm not letting you. I'm not blessing your efforts and I'm not going to bless your efforts until you consider your ways and get your priorities straight. Now, to Israel's credit, they actually respond correctly. That is not normal for Israel. But I'm going to reread those last few verses just so you can understand how Haggai chapter 1 ends. Starting in verse 12, it says, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This, This is the way it's supposed to go. The people screwed up. God said, consider your ways. They did consider their ways. They repented. They said, Lord, you're right. I mean, if this was a movie, I could picture it ending with everybody, you know, praising God. And you can see people working in the background. Lord, we're getting on this. We'll we'll build those walls. We'll do what you need. The sun's setting in the background and the credits start to roll. The problem with that kind of ending is it kind of leaves you to predict what happens after that. And that's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to give you much time. But just get a mental image. What, how do you think that the, the next, if there was a sequel coming out, where would that pick off, pick up? Remember, they had screwed up. God told them to consider their ways, and they did. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. They feared the Lord. God said, my spirit is with you. I'll stir up the spirits of all your leaders. I don't know. I don't know what your thinking should come next. But you do need to know that Haggai is not a one-chapter book. It's a two-chapter book. So we know what comes next. And, you know, God just made you wait nine months to hear the ending of the story. We're going to read Haggai 2 today. I'm going to explain to you how God spoke to my heart. But initially, I just want you to see if what Haggai 2 says matches with what you thought it would say for a bunch of people who screwed up but repented, obeyed the voice of God, and had God's favor on them. Is this what you expected to be the next step in the process? I'll ask everyone to stand in honor of reading God's word. We'll read Haggai chapter 2. But obviously, we needed to be reminded what was in chapter 1 to fully understand it. All right, here we go. Haggai chapter 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? 
Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of the nation shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with the, this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there was but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures... There were but twenty. I struck, I struck you, sorry, lost my, and all the products of your toil with blight, with mildew, and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. All right, if nothing else, you all get to go home and say you read the entire book of Haggai today. Sadly, I don't know how many people could say that. We can, but we're selfish, right? We don't just want to read it. We want to learn from it. We want to understand it. We want to grow from it. And I don't know what picture you had in your mind about what was going to happen after Haggai 1, after the people did consider their ways and did submit to God and did obey and did have his blessing. I'm expecting chapter 2 to talk about how awesome things went, how beautiful the temple ended up being, how everything that they were doing was now being prosperous and was now being blessed by God. Look, maybe I read too fast, I don't know, but that's not what we read. <laughs> There's a lot of future prediction from God, but in that moment, things were not going at all the way I think the Israelites would expect or that we would have expected. And what I found interesting, again, 
you know, I've had time to prepare for this. But verses 15 through 18, God says, Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I stuck you, struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider. Wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> I thought they did consider. I thought we read in chapter 1 that God said, consider your ways, and the people did. This is only about a month later. So don't, don't oh, well, you know, things fell apart. What happened? I believe, as the Spirit spoke to my heart, that as much as chapter 1 was challenging the people and us to consider your ways, I believe chapter 2 says to consider God's ways. To understand that when you consider what you're doing, but you don't consider it through his eyes, through his word, with all due respect, it's, it's fruitless. It's no different than some self-help book that you can get at the library. The world tells you to consider your ways, right? Oh, think about this so you can become a better leader in business. Think about this so you can become a better spouse, so you can become a better parent, so you can become a better... Th the world will say, consider your ways... But if all we do is consider our ways and kind of leave God's ways out of it, we're never going to get what God wants us to get from that. I know because of what God tells us in Isaiah 55. Very famous verses. But God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If we're actually studying Isaiah 55 today, you would see it's just another Haggai 1. He's really telling the people to consider their ways. A couple verses before, he says things like, why do you spend money for what is not bread? And why do you spend your wages for things that don't satisfy? He's telling the people to consider their ways and then saying, but listen, while you're doing that, please realize your ways are not my ways. I don't care how hard you try to be who you think you're supposed to be. You need to see things through my eyes. You need to understand my plan. And that's my goal for today. My goal for today is, yes, please consider your ways. Hopefully we have been doing that before Mike preached it and after Mike preached it. But, oh, don't leave it there. Consider your ways through the lens of his ways which we're going to take from Haggai 2 today. All right, so I know that's kind of a long intro, but I'm going to pray, give this time to God, and we'll see what he has in store for us from his word. Lord, I thank you. Lord, nine months ago to the day, well, I think that's, you like to do that, from uh, November 20th to August 20th, Lord, you knew that Haggai would be started and it would then be finished. Lord, I don't know how many of us were here uh, back then, but I know we're here now. Lord, and I thank you for the challenge that your word gives throughout Scripture, Lord. But when you lead us to specific passages, we want to hear your voice and your spirit speaking to us through that passage. So, Lord, that's what I ask. I can't, I can't think we have a bunch of Haggai scholars in the room, Lord. Right? I know I'm not one. So you definitely have us here for a reason, something that you want to say to us, something that builds on chapter 1, Lord, but that 
is essential for chapter one to have the impact that, that we know you want it to. So I thank you in advance, Lord. I know my mouth's going to talk a mile a minute, but your spirit will do a much better job of speaking to people's hearts, helping them hear what they need to hear, Lord, whether it be conviction or comfort or encouragement or whatever it is. That's what your spirit does. That's what your word does. And that's what I'm looking forward to today. So we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's consider God's ways. Here we go. We will start in the first three verses. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Okay, so about a month has passed. Chapter 1 ended in the end of, near the end of the sixth month. Chapter 1 picks up at the end of the seventh month. It's been about a month. And the people aren't rebelling. The people aren't complaining. We don't get any insight into what the people are saying, but God knows their hearts. God sees something's not right. And God pretty much calls them out. And he says, all right, good. Who was left among you who saw this house in its former glory? This is about 66 years since the temple's been destroyed. So there's a lot of people who were there to see the original temple and are now here to see uh, what they're trying to rebuild. How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? You can understand what God's saying. God's reading their heart. The people are looking and they're like, oh my goodness. Oh, if you just knew what it used to be like. Oh, I mean, you know, this is better than nothing, but oh my goodness. Uh, The book of Ezra, if you didn't know, Ezra was a priest and a scribe, so he would record things. And he actually recorded more from a historical point of view what's going on, what we're reading now. And in Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he records that many of the priests and Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Very interesting. The people who had seen what the temple used to be were weeping, weeping for what they once had, weeping for what it once was, And the people who weren't old enough to see that were like, this is awesome. I've never had a temple before. Like, the, the, the entire range of emotions based on what those people had or hadn't seen. And that's my first point. My first point about considering God's ways is we need to realize that God's ways are not based on what we see. And I have to put see in quotes because it doesn't have to be visual. Just the way we perceive things around us, the way that we interpret our situation, the way that we think things have to be handled, the way we see things so often, even as we're considering our ways, we see them a certain way, and then our mind automatically thinks that's what it is. And that's just not how God works. It just isn't. I'm sorry. I wish it was. I'm a very analytical and logical person. I wish every time I thought something and I thought, oh yeah, John, nailed it again. No. That's not what he does. Proverbs 3, 5 makes it so clear that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. That doesn't mean you don't understand. 
It doesn't mean you can't understand. It means you have a level of understanding that is not in line with God's master plan. It's just, it's, it's built into human nature. Was Sarah wrong when she laughed when God said, you're going to have a child? Of course she was wrong. She should have had total faith. She was 90. Give the woman a break. Human understanding does not... Oh, all right, that's fine. Yeah, I can wait till I'm 93. No. Was Abraham wrong when he had a child with his handmaiden? Well, of course he was wrong. That's horrible. Yeah, but God, God told Abraham that he'd give him a son. He obviously wasn't going to have it with his wife. His wife just, she'd been barren for so long. Lord, don't worry, I got this. I'll go have a, a son with Hagar instead. Don't worry, we're good. Right? I'm not excusing them, but by human understanding, I'm not going to get on them too hard. Even Peter. Peter was constantly putting his foot in his mouth, constantly correcting Jesus, but why? No, I, I don't, I, I'm sorry, Lord, but I just want you to understand how much I love you. I want you to understand how much I'm willing to serve you. I want you to, like, like Jesus didn't understand. Our own understanding gets us in trouble so often. And yet we're considering our ways. Look, if you're not considering your ways, you've got to go back, study Haggai 1, listen to Mike's sermon. But the natural progression from considering our ways has to be to consider his. That when you look at your situation and you're trying to grow in your faith and, Lord, I'm praying more, I'm reading more, but my boss is still a jerk. My, my kids still don't listen to me. My spouse still isn't saved. Like, this person still isn't healed. Like, in our natural understanding, we expect considering our ways, Lord, I am, I'm going to be such a better Christian, I'm going to do this. And we just expect that. To result in, we end up getting what we want. And God says, no. That's not how it works. Like, on purpose, he says that's not how it works. It's, it's not going to show up on the screen. But he says that God actually uses the things of the foolish to confound the wise. God takes pleasure in saying, <laughs> you think you understand this? Uh, trust me, what you see, that's not it. This is the plan I have for you. And that's why I know I bashed Abraham before, but you know why Abraham was able to hold that knife up and almost kill his kid? Humanly speaking, that makes no sense, but he knew what God had promised. And from God's eyes, Scripture tells us he knew God would raise his kid back from the dead if he had to. Right? Noah, right? The builder of the first cruise ship, right? 120 years this guy was building this thing. But you know something? God said to do it. I don't understand, but God said to do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they come right out and admit? Look, I don't know what God's going to do. He might deliver us, he might not. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Because we're not going to bow down to anyone else, even if we end up dying from this. That's living in a way where you're not going by what you see, but by what God tells you to do. And that's why we have that verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith, not by faith sight. That verse should bother you. I hate when we get so comfortable with verses that we don't think about it. Do you realize just this morning we sang a song that said, cause my faith to rise and my eyes to see. Sight should build my faith. As I look at his beautiful creation, as I look at what he's doing in my life, as I look at the trials that he got me through, that should grow my faith. But we know that's not what the verse is talking about. It's not talking about sight. It's talking about that fork in the road. 
where based on what you see, you think you should go this way. But based on what God says and based on what he's promised, you know you should go this way. But you're afraid to take that step of faith because of what you see. That's what this is warning about. The just we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen when our sight strengthens our faith. But when we have to make that choice, and i got to believe at least some of us are there. i got to believe that some of you are feeling a little weird that, I can't believe this guy's preaching this thing. This is exactly what I asked God to show me. That's how God works. That when you, by sight, feel you need to go this way, but you know faith is taking you this way, please remember Hebrews 11.6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. I think if we thought about it that way, it would be a little easier to take that step of faith. Because then it's not, do I go the way I think? Or into the unknown? No. Do I go the way I think or the way that I know is going to please God in how we raise our kids and how we spend our money and how we spend our time? Whatever it is, it's so easy to rationalize. Well, Lord, I'm sorry, but I have to do this. No. Sight tells you you have to do this. Faith says, trust him. He'll do what only he can do. Um, again, Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith, right? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not bad to see things, but you shouldn't have to see it. Not only should you not have to see it, but let's acknowledge that sometimes seeing it becomes a stumbling block, right? How many times, Lord, please show me. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with crying out to your father and asking him to show you something. But realize that sometimes he's not going to show you, so that you have to walk by faith. So that you have to say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing here, but... I know you've called me to this. I know that you've laid this on my heart. I know that this is what you want for me. So I'm going. All right, I'll tell you right now. You come back and you let me know if that doesn't work. Because I'm sorry, what I'm going to tell you is walk by faith, not by sight. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep saying it. Yeah, but John, it's been a month. Walk by faith, not by sight. It's been two years. Walk by faith, not by sight. That's it. If you're going to trust sight, it means you don't trust faith anymore. We don't mean it that way. But I'm not sure we even think about it. We're so busy leaning on our own understanding that we don't even realize that we're doing things that technically we know God doesn't want us doing. Or we're not doing things that technically we know God wants us to do. Um, so, so that's the first point. I do want to read one quote to you. It really spoke to my heart. It, it's kind of long, but I'm, I'm hoping that God uses it for you the way he did for me. It's from A.W. Tozer. We, we quote him a lot. He was a, a, a Christian pastor and author from, you know, about a hundred years ago or so. He record, it's in his book, The Price of Neglect, and he recorded this, this prayer that he would say when he found himself trusting sight more than faith. It's specific to his case, but he would pray, Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts? Very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any, nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. 
If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed it is my own, if it is thine own. For what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is thou alone that giveth the increase. If you're going to take that word for word, he's talking about his ministry, his church. That doesn't fit everyone specifically, but in general, come on. Can you see what he's praying? Lord, I want to see things through your eyes. I don't want to wonder why their church is bigger and I'm working so hard. I'm considering my ways. Why do they get a bigger church? Why do they get a better? No. No. Amen. Amen. If God gifted me to preach and gifted you to do something else. That's how a body works. We all have our own gifts. We all, but you can't go by what you see. You can't go by what your own understanding it wants to pull you this way. It's human nature. And we got to say, no, Lord, you're, you deserve better. Okay, it was only a month, and they were already getting frustrated that what they were building wasn't like it used to be. And God says, don't worry. This is going to end up being greater than that. It actually did end up being. Herod ended up building it up bigger than Solomon had it. But God says, you don't worry about that. You walk by faith, not by sight. So that's my first point, probably the one that I'm going to spend the most time on. But if you really want to consider God's ways, please know that it is not based on what you see. Picking up in verse 4, God says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the lands, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. I don't know if you were looking at the screen. It actually doesn't show up as well as I was hoping, but I just kind of highlighted in yellow the points so that we don't, we don't have time to just break it all down. It starts off three times. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Which is what you would expect God to say when he says, don't go by what you see. What we see scares us. What we see worries us. What we see makes us think we've got to do this. When we, God says, no, be strong. Be strong. Follow me. But after he says, be strong three times, which is a word to us, the rest of it's all about him. For I am with you. Fear not. I will shake the heavens and earth. I will shake all nations. I will fill this house. The silver is mine. The gold is mine. In this place, I will give peace. Even declares the Lord of hosts. Did you notice how often that popped up? It's like the Lord of the army. He's like, the second point that I think screams out of these verses, yes, God's ways are not based on what we see, and God's ways are not based on our strength. I know that's easy to sit there and say, well, duh, of course. Come on. How often do we let our strength determine whether we think we can or can't do something? We think we can handle it, so we don't pray, God. I, I got this one. I'll come to you when I need you. But then when you think you don't have the strength to do it, well, I'm not even going to pray about it. There's no way God wants me to do that. I can't do that. Right? Isn't Scripture filled with those examples? 
right? Didn't God have to take Gideon and say, yeah, sorry, you can't have those 10,000 soldiers. I got to knock you down to 300. Otherwise, you're going to think it was your strength. How sad. But God said, no, no, I want the glory. You think you're too strong. Even in Haggai 1, you do this, you do this, you do this. But listen, you're not going to get results from it because it's not your strength. It's mine. And then on the flip side, people who think they're not strong enough, Moses pops into my mind right away. Oh, Lord, my mouth. I, I could never be your spokesman. Right? Even a great man like Elijah, Lord, I can't take this anymore. She, she won't stop hunting me down. Right? So many examples of people who thought they were strong enough and God had to knock them down. Not strong enough and God had to lift them up. Look, I don't care which side you're on. No matter which side you're on, you're wrong. I'm about to say something that doesn't make sense. <laughs> you're not too strong and you're also not, not strong enough. Like, neither one. Because it's not about your strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, Paul makes it very clear. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, Ill insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I know I've said this before. Humor me. I used to misquote this all the time. I'm such an idiot. I wouldn't even look it up. For the longest time, I would thought that said, for when I am weak, he is strong. Because that's what made sense to me, right? I, I have to act like I'm weak so that his strength can... There's a little bit of truth there, right? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? But no, when I am weak, I am strong. If you're sitting there saying, yeah, well, that makes sense, you explain it to me. In human understanding, you cannot be strong when you are weak unless you realize that it's not about your strength. If you're sitting there wondering, oh, I don't know, I never really thought about my strength before. Can I ask you about your prayer life? I'm just going to be honest. If you disagree, then I guess, you know, you can give me your logical explanation. But if you, and listen, I'm yelling at myself. If you don't have much of a prayer life, by definition, you're doing things in your own strength. You just are, whether you realize it or not. Because if you realized you didn't have the strength, guess who you'd be asking for strength? The guy you pray to. Agreed? But because we think we're good and we kind of wait for those moments where we don't have the strength, and that's when we pray, no, no good. I'm telling you now. I'm not telling you you got to start praying. I'm just saying it would make sense if you did. Pray more to keep from the trap of thinking you're strong enough but then also pray more for those moments where you feel like you're not strong enough. Lord, give me the faith to believe in your strength, to believe in your power, to believe in your word. It's not about us on either side. But how often do we consider our ways, and part of that considering is, well, yeah, so I guess I could do this. I'm pretty good. Oh, no, there's no way I could do that. You mean well, but you're considering your ways without considering his ways. And you're basing the, you consider yourself and based on what you see, you're going to do this. And based on your strengths, you're going to do this. And God's saying, you don't get it. It's my strength. I love 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Paul says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. We're not sufficient, but we're sufficient. Right? Because it's not coming from us. It's that happy middle of saying, Lord, I know I'm not strong enough, but you are. That, that, that's, I hate it. It's so easy to say from the pulpit, and it's so hard to go out there and live. 
Because we're human. We want to think we can do things. We want to think we can handle things. And God's up there saying, listen, I know you mean well. You know, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. Those are awesome things, but you're going to need the spirit strength to do it. Because the day's going to come where you're tired. And the day's going to come where you're busy. And the day's going to... But it's not about your strength. Just keep leaning on his, and he'll do the, what only he can do. Again, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm just going to keep saying it in case some of you haven't been here before. Please read that as, I can do all things that Christ gives me the strength to do. That's the right way to read it. Because if you focus on the I can do all things, it's still, well, God's given me the strength, but I'm the one doing it. No. He'll give you the strength to do it if he wants you to do it. So don't beat yourself up that you're not like this one or that one. Or In the stillness of your heart between you and God, are you using what he's given you? Are you working in his strength? Are you not thinking you're, you don't need his strength? Are you thinking his strength is not enough? It's that middle ground. And I know it's easier said than done, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't. Right? If it was easy, everyone would do it. Isn't that the phrase? It's not easy. Human nature wants to go by what they see. Human nature wants to work according to your strengths. And God says, no, I'm, I'm the exact. Nope. Listen to me. Put your faith in me. Okay, so God's, um, God's ways are not based on what we see. God's ways are not based on our strength. Verse 10 gets kind of weird. I don't know how many of you caught this. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean with, by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. And Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with the nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, what they offer here is unclean. So this does not sound good. Sounds a little confusing, to be honest, tucking meat inside your clothes. Um, But we know from our Leviticus study at night that the, the, the priests were responsible for sacrificing the meat to God, and that meat was considered holy. And God's just asking them, listen, if you got something holy and something unholy, I know he gives two examples, but he pretty much says, if they come in contact, which affects the other? And first they had to admit, yes, if something unclean touches, that doesn't make it clean. In fact, if something clean touches something, un- it actually makes it unclean. And God's point was, these Israelites were working under the assumption that, well, we are God's people, doing God's work, in God's Nation, of course he's going to bless us. And God's saying, that's not how it works. You, you don't, you're not holy by association. You understand? You don't get to say, well, duh, I mean, of course, I went to church. <laughs> of course I'm holy. Well, duh, I put money in the offering plate. Of course I'm holy. You, you understand? God didn't want them resting on their laurels thinking they were good because, I mean, hey, look at what you see. We came back from exile. We agreed to build. We agreed to consider our ways. We agreed. And God said, yeah, but you're still, I'm going to give my word away. And I'm trying to have them all start with this. God's ways are not built on what we see. They are not based on our strength. And they're not based on our standards. 
And that is a really dangerous thing, especially in America. It is very easy to consider ourselves quite holy because we go to church most Sundays and we put some money in the plate and we try to raise our kids right. I'm not knocking any of those things, but it's kind of like we set a bar down here for what it takes. Oh, God must be happy with me. How could God? You see the guy down the street? Yeah, that's who God's mad at. Compared to that, God must love me. No. God doesn't set the bar at the people around you. He doesn't set the bar at what you think would be impressive. He sets the bar at his own holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Mike, I'm not going to put you on the spot, because I don't know if you even remember your own sermon. But if you guys go online and listen to how Mike started Haggai 1, he, he's, I started with a weird question today, I get it. He started with a much better one. How many people here would say that they live a life that honors God? I'm paraphrasing. He gave about two seconds, and he said, if your answer to that was yes without thinking, you've got something wrong. Because if you just think, well, of course God's happy with me then I'm wondering where you set your bar for your standards. Well, I mean, come on. I I try not to curse, and I try to help people across the street. And Look, those old things are nice. But we should never be cut. Well, God must be happy with me. We talk about that in in Leviticus. Again, come night service, learn about Leviticus. When a woman gave birth, she had to give a sin offering. Giving birth wasn't a sin. But it was an acknowledgement that that woman was bringing a sinner into the world. Like, like, God really wanted people to understand that even when you think you're doing good, that's nothing compared to what I want you to strive for. That's why someone as great as Paul could call himself the chief of all sinners. Could say, oh, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to... I mean, Paul sounded like a horrible wretch. I guarantee you he was awesome compared to each one of us. But he wasn't comparing himself to us. He was comparing himself to Christ. And to be honest, you would think the way he talks, he would have just given up. No. What does he tell us in, I think, where did I refer? 1 Corinthians 11.1? He just says, listen, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's so amazing. After admitting that he falls so short and he's such a horrible sinner, this says, yeah, but I'm trying. God's ways are not that I need to be perfect. But God wants us to constantly be striving to raise that bar, constantly be striving to conform more to the image of his son, constantly trying to attain his standards, not the law. That that has nothing to do. We're saved by grace. But living for his standards, which you can't know his standards if you don't know his standards. Agreed? How can we sit there and say, oh yeah, I think God's pretty happy with me. I mean, I go to church every Sunday. You show me the verse that says God's happy to you. Well, it's got to be in there somewhere. Isn't it in like Hezekiah or something? And for those of you who know the Bible, there is no Hezekiah. There's a character, not a book, but half of you would have fallen for that. Right? We got to know his word. If we know his standards, we can strive to live for his standards. That's his way. And that's another danger of considering our ways. If we consider them based on our definition of holiness, I mean, come on, I'm up here preaching. i got to be better than you people. Oh, sorry, Lord, I'm supposed to be seeing it from your side. Yeah, no, I'm the, the greatest of all sinners. I don't mind saying that. I don't care. Last Sunday, we talked about the blessings of humility. 
that God doesn't just command us to be humble, he wants us to be humble so that he can lift us up, so that he can build us up. So when I say that we are to strive for his standards, don't get depressed that you keep falling short. Get encouraged that he wants to keep giving you his strength. He wants to keep giving you his insight so that you can strive to be more in the image of his son. Again, I talk a mile a minute, but if you just catch a couple of these words, I got to trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. So God's ways are not based on what we see. God's ways are not based on our strength. God's ways are not based on our standards. I'm doing pretty good. Verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. So we got a problem. We actually don't. But we got a problem because this passage makes it clear that these people have learned nothing. They're right back where they started. Doesn't that sound like it came straight out of chapter 1? I thought you guys considered your ways. God's just still just as upset as he was back then. Just out of curiosity, is anyone actually reading this in their Bible? It's okay if you're looking at the screen. Oh, pastor is. Then pastor knows that I did not complete verse 19. Verse 19 does not end there. Verse 19 actually says, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. I'll be honest, I just got chills. I love it. I know I screw up all the time. I know I keep falling. I know he has to keep picking me back up, but that's what he does. Do you understand? My fourth point is God's ways are not based on our story. I'll put that in quotes because I'm trying to stay with the yes. But how many people, when they consider their ways, it's, it's what God says to do, it defeats them. It crumbles them. All it does is remind you how many times you've screwed up and how many times you told God you're going to do better just to slip back again. And What's, what's the point? Well, the point is it's not based on our story. It's not based on our past. God doesn't hit a point where he says, sorry, kid, I'm done with you. No. It's based on his plan for our life. Again, we all have different, you know, some of us have a quote-unquote worse story than others, humanly speaking. I get it. But whether you have a relatively good story or bad, it doesn't matter. God said, you know, I know what things have been like. But from this day on, I'm going to bless you. I want to bless you. You don't hit a point where God gives up on you. If you're his child, I guarantee it. If you're not his child, then again, we got to Haggai 1 and consider your ways and figure out how you can become his child. We'll gladly tell you. But if you are and you are considering your ways, don't let Satan get the best of you. Don't let your own conscience get the best of you. Oh, I'm never going to be who God wants him to be. Oh, he must be so sick of me. Oh, I, I won't even bother. No. Please, I, I'm going to keep moving for sake of time. But in Sunday school, we read uh, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Very popular verse. And most of you know what I'm going to say now. Yes, those verses work to bring you to salvation. But they were written to a church. 
they were written to people who were already saved. The theme, pastor did 1 John not that long ago, the theme of 1 John is fellowship. We cannot stay in fellowship with God in our own strength because we're constantly screwing up, but God is constantly saying, yeah, but confess your sin. I'll forgive it. We can be back in relationship. So again, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but it just it sounds so much like what chapter 1 sounded like. But he promises to bless them because that's what he wants for his children. Okay, and in closing, let's wrap up the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms and of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. There's a lot in there. We're not doing an in-depth study of Haggai today. But as far as God's ways, I'm going to focus on that ending, that I will make you like a signet ring. If you don't know what a signet ring is, it's the ring that the king would wear with an engraving on the ring so that he could stamp it into some wax and it would create a seal. And that was the king's seal. And it meant it was guaranteed. It meant you could count on it. And God said, Zerubbabel, that's what I'm going to do with you. All right? And it didn't happen during Zerubbabel's life, but Zerubbabel ends up getting mentioned in the lineage of Christ. I'm sorry, I don't need anything other than that to say that God says, I'm going to use you. But can I tell you for a second that Zerubbabel never asked for that? I guarantee you that never even occurred to him. If I ever meet Zerubbabel up in heaven and I say, hey, listen, while you were rebuilding the temple, was, was there a part of you that was hoping God would reward you by putting you in the lineage of Christ? He ne never would have thought of it. All he wanted to do was rebuild the temple and honor God, and God's like, oh yeah, that's great, but oh, my plan for you, so much greater. So my last point, again, sticking with the letter S, God's ways are not based on our sovereignty. And of course I have to put it in quotes, and of course DJ laughed, because we're not sovereign, we just act like we are. Right? We act like we're in control of our destiny, and we act like we know what's best for us, and Praise God, his, his ways are not based on our sovereignty, they're based on his. Right? That should be an encouragement to us. Every single point I gave you today, it told you what God's ways weren't. They're not based on what we see, based on our strength, based on our standards, based on our story, based on our side. Yeah, you know why they're not? Because they're based on his. God's ways are based on what he sees. They are based on his strength. They are based on his standards. They are based on his story. Right? Word of God story. Based on his sovereignty. That should give us so much comfort. So much peace. But if we're honest, a lot of times it doesn't. Because we're too busy fighting them on it. Right? Again, you guys know. But he's up in heaven. Don't worry, kid. I got this. Yeah, but God, what about my... Kid, I got this. I, I know, but, but, but what happens if... Kid, I got this. Like, what's our problem? Our problem is we consider our ways and consider them through our, what we see and our sight. And, our, and God says, no, just give it to me. And it's so comforting to say, but it's so hard to live out because your problems are still going to be there when I say amen. I get it. There's still going to be things you see that you're going to try to 
be strong in. There's still going to be things you don't feel. They're still going to be there. But are you going to give them to him? So again, if you need to start, you, considering his ways is useless if you're not going to consider your own. Then it's just an academic process. You need to consider your own ways. See what God is speaking to your heart. What do you need to do more? What do you need to do less so that you can conform more to the image of his son? That's where it starts. But then as you strive to do that, don't look around you and say, oh, this must not be working because I still didn't get that job. This person still didn't get healed. Oh, I must not be strong enough. Oh, uh, all those things. No, don't fall for that. As you're considering your ways, Make sure you're considering his ways, and I guarantee you, if it's a lifelong process, but you strive to put those two together, you'll see God work in your life. You'll see him give you that peace that passes understanding. You'll see him give you that wisdom that the world cannot have. He wants to give it to you, but we have to consider, and we have to want it ourselves. So that's my encouragement to myself, my encouragement to you as well. I pray you were blessed. Let's pray. Lord, again, I can get up here and talk. Pastor can get up here and talk. Mike, Lenny, it it, it doesn't matter. Um, It's just talk if we don't let you speak to our hearts. So those who needed to be encouraged, Lord, I pray they were encouraged. Those who needed to be convicted, I pray they were convicted. Lord, you can fill in the verb that you want. You know what we need. You know what we're thinking. You know what our intentions are. You know if we're even here to learn or to go through the motions. Lord, we all have that moment where the light goes on and we understand how much your word really does mean, how much it needs to guide our life, how much it helps us consider our ways, but also consider yours. Lord, you could have made everything different. You could have made us understand every aspect, and then it wouldn't be faith. Lord, we have to, I pray... Just a general prayer, Lord. I know people are going through trials. I know that they're going through things that they don't understand and that they don't see your hand in. Your word is filled of those examples. But every time you say, I got it, kid. You say, walk by faith, not by sight. And I pray that you help me, Lord, as a leader in my family and in this church to to be the example that I need to be and just show me how I can, how all of us can encourage each other to continue to grow in the image of your son. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for books like Leviticus and Haggai that probably were collecting dust for years. And now here you are speaking through them and showing us just in more and new ways how amazing you are, how awesome you are, and how much we need you. So we thank you and give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if we could please stand, we're going to close in doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.